Do you know the most teachings on hell come from Jesus himself, and that he taught more on this subject than heaven? Additional scriptures go into implicit detail concerning the origins, locations, characteristics, and compartments of hell. Sadly, a recent Pew Forum study revealed that only 87% of the people believed in God, 74% believed in heaven, and only 59% were convinced of the reality of hell. There is clearly a large disconnect concerning life after physical death and the certainty of eternity. If hell is not real, there is no need for the crucifixion and Jesus' gift of salvation. Join us now as we break down the authenticity and consequences of hell. I am Mark Russick, and you are listening to The Russick Outlook. As always, just my opinion. Hello, my name is Mark Russick. You're listening to The Russick Outlook. Thank you very much for joining. Today, we're going to be talking about the origin and the location of hell and and why such a topic. Well, when you dive into the scriptures, it turns out there is an abundance of information that is is laid out. And when we see this amount of information in detail concerning the whereabouts of hell, the characteristics of hell, the surroundings of hell, uh, the compartments, the levels of hell, this is all laid out in scripture. And if it's in scripture, I believe it's there for a reason for us to learn from and to glean from. Uh, so for that that reason alone, I'm I'm going to be uh, investigating this and sharing some information, and I and I promise you there will be some things that you may not have considered or or realized. Uh, I, I've done a lot of research on this, and I can't find uh, a lot of teachings that have have delved into some of the topics or some of the areas of discussion that I'm I'm going to break down. Not that it's not out there; it may be. I just didn't run across it. Uh, but again, as I said, this is all going to be scripturally based. Uh, so, you know, if you want to get your pen or your pencil out, we're, we're going to cover a lot of the scriptures, a lot of the word. Um, and on that note, I'm going to ask you, and uh, for many listeners, they, they know, and I ask that please hit the like and the subscribe button, uh, as well as ring the bell that you see, you know, in front of you or whatever social media platform you're on or YouTube and the different uh, uh, Spotify podcast and Google podcast and Apple podcast. All of these things really help us get the information out. Uh, subscribe to our channel and also please subscribe to our email list. If you go to russicoutlook.com and just join our email list, it's free. We don't send you anything other than updates and information on new topics. And I will say that there is something brand new that's coming up in the fall you'll be hearing about shortly, and you're only going to be notified and invited to this if you are on our email list. This will be by email invitation only. So hopefully that's enough to pique your interest. So let's let's get into this. And like I said, this is I'm, I'm getting breaking this down because there is an abundance of scripture concerning this, and, and I believe there are things that we can observe around us today that will lend a little bit more insight into the origin, location, and characteristics of hell. So uh, let's get into it. Okay, so we're going to begin with why hell and who is this for? In other words, why was this made and and who uh, will eventually wind up there? So I'm going to begin with Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. Uh, If you're following me on video, this is beginning in the left-hand side. Uh, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. 
I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. What is God's answer to it? The following verse is, Yet you shall be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. So, you know, number one, it, it, you see that the first assignment or the first mention of hell is really about and, and focusing on Satan and, and that he would be brought down to the pit. I'm going to go to Matthew 25:41. Uh, why was hell created? The, then shall he say also unto, this is Jesus speaking, by the way. Then shall he also say unto them on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So right away, Jesus is saying that hell is prepared or created for the devil and his angels. I'm going to go to Psalm 917 here. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. So there's the uh, line of distinction that it was intended and created for the fallen angels, but the ones who basically reject God will also be bought there. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. We all do. No, no one uh, can, can make it on their own without the blood of Jesus, without uh, accepting him as Lord and Savior. Second uh, Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So in other words, the Lord has made it clear that this has been created and designed for his fallen angels. He doesn't want anyone uh, to to wind up here. He is patient and long-suffering uh, and, and, you know, giving us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And I would say, you know, I know of many people in life uh, who came to know the Lord very, very at the uh, late, later stages. And, and I, I would just say that that's, you know, that, that is uh, Scripture uh, coming to life, coming to fruition, that He will wait and, and be patient with us because, you know, we're all different. And, uh, but, you know, that's, that's who God is to us anyway. So, hell, what is it? I'm going to kind of break down some things, and I'm going to go into Jesus' own words and descriptions. Uh, let me first say that hell is specifically mentioned 32 times in the Bible. It is referenced 162 times. Jesus calls it uh, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. In seven different occasions, he's he's done that. And let me just preface this by saying, you know, if 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 you're take a hammer and you're working and you're hammering the nail and you hit your thumb and you go, you know, that whole gnashing of teeth. That's what that is. But think about that. You'll you'll see here, and I think most people would know that uh, heat and fire is equated and burning with with hell, uh, which you don't normally see in a hot situation. But that's how bad it is that you'll be screaming in agony uh, and, and gnashing of teeth. It is a fire that is not quenched. Uh, there is a worm that never dies. I'm going to read from you Isaiah 14, 11. Thy pomp is brought down to the grave and the noise of thy vials. The worm is spread under thee and the worms cover you. So worms are all around you. They cover you. Uh, this is 
this is really, you know, again, Jesus' description and then backing it up with Isaiah's uh, verse in 14.11. It is a place of outer darkness. This is going to become very important as we move this along. It is a place where one is tormented by flames and past memories. I'll be showing you examples of this in Scripture where you're very much aware of your past, you're very much aware of where you have missed it, and you'll be haunted by these memories. There is a great gulf that is fixed between hell and paradise. I will show you exactly, I'll give you a visual presentation on that shortly. So, uh, you, know, you know, by far the majority of scriptural teaching that we have on hell comes from Jesus himself. Jesus taught on hell more than, more than heaven, and that, should, that in and of itself should be enough. On over 70 occasions, we can reference where Jesus spoke on hell. I say, you know, when, when people are not comfortable when you say, when you talk to them about hell and eternal destinations of hell, but I say that that's an act of love. Um, there, there's so many different things, situations, but, you know, you want to do everything you can and lay out every uh, possible example to convince people because this is an eternal decision and you're doing so as an act of kindness, compassion, and love because you don't want to see them in there. I'm going to go to uh, Matthew 10:28. Again, this is uh, Jesus speaking. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So, they, I mean, just a very clear, staunch warning about this. Daniel 12, 2, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, that would be heaven, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Uh, some of the words that, or, or the names that, that it's referred to, it's called Hades and Sheol. Uh, Sheol is in the Hebrew, Hades is in the Greek, so you find Sheol more in the Old Testament, Hades in the Greek. It is also called, referred to as the grave or life after the grave is the meaning of those words. Uh, then you see Tartarus is mentioned one time. It's a place bound for fallen angels. Then there is Gehenna. That's mentioned 12 times, mostly by Jesus. I believe James is the other one. Um, but it is translated as the Valley of, Valley of Hinnom. Um, this is a 24 by 7 burning dump today of garbage. Uh, then you have the lake of fire, which is the second death. It is the place of final torment. So you die once physically, and then you die a second time. And then there is, uh, and, and we'll, I'll, I'll show you that there is a difference between Hades, Sheol, and, and the lake of fire. But So that gives you some, some idea of what it is, why it was created, what we need to, to stay out of there, uh, and... Uh, also just kind of reinforcing the fact that Jesus taught so much on this, and I say it's because he loves us. He doesn't want to see anybody in that situation. So where is hell and how big is it? So Isaiah 14, 9, hell from beneath is excited about you. So right there and then, it's beneath you. Proverbs fifteen twenty four. the way of life is above to the wise that he may depart from hell beneath. Again, another reference to hell is below us. Ezekiel 32, 26 through 27. Uh, uh, let me read this from the top. There are Meshach and Tubal and all the multitudes with all their graves around it. 
all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword. Though they cause their terror in the land of the living, they do not lie with the mighty who are fallen of the uncircumcised, who have gone down to hell. Again, if you're going down, it's below you. It's beneath you. Um, how big is it? Well, Proverbs 27:20, Hell and destruction are never full. It's always expanding. So the, it, said, it goes on to say, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. Isaiah 5, 14 through 15, therefore Sheol has enlarged itself and opened its mouth beyond measure. Their glory and their multitude and their pomp and he who is jubilant shall descend into it. People shall be brought down. Each man shall be humbled and the eyes of the lofty will be humbled. So here you have that it's beneath you, it's below you, and it's expanding, it's growing. Uh, it's getting larger. As more and more souls are poured into hell, it expands. Why? Because it was not created for man, but man, unfortunately, has made that choice to embrace evil. There are compartments of hell. So I'm going to look at, again, this is Jesus in Luke 16, 19 through 31. Many people are familiar with this. Um, This is about the rich man and Lazarus, Lazarus being... Uh, well, let me pick it up from verse 22. Now it happened that the poor man died, which was Lazarus, and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's arms. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, he raised his eyes, being in torment, and he saw Abraham far away and in Lazarus in his arms. And he cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. So let me just pause for a second. If you're following me on video, I show you there is a, uh, this is Hades or Sheol, but there's a great gulf there in, in between, uh, in between a place of torment and what's called Abraham's bosom or a, a paradise. And Jesus said uh, to the man on the cross who accepted his, or asked for his forgiveness and accepted Jesus. And Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Um, and there is, I, I've gone through this before, um, but paradise is just another word for Abraham's bosom in Sheol uh, or slash Hades. So you have this distinction and you can see one another and you have memories. You you understand where you missed it, but you cannot reach one another. And it, you know, it goes on to explain all of that. And again, Luke 16, 19 through 31, I'll read a little bit more. And he cried, this is the, uh, uh, um, uh, the following of what I just read. Uh, but Abraham said, child, remember that during your life, you received your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And beside all this, between us is the great chasm has been set, so that those who want to go over from here to you will not be able to, nor will anybody be able to cross over from here to us. And then it goes on to say, you know, he wanted to reach his family. He wanted to you know, have his family warned. So I, I advise you, if you're not familiar with it, read it. It's it's powerful. And it is not uh, a, um, a parable, as some would say, Jesus gives very specific details here, and he gives names, and he does not do that in his parables. Let me give you a description of Sheol, Hades, or Sheol. Uh, I think I got to work on my Hebrew there. 
Proverbs 9.18, a place where the dead exist. Psalm 86.13, a place for the soul. Psalm 9.17, a place for the wicked and those who forget God. Genesis 44.29, a godly Jacob is expected to go there. Uh, Psalm 88.3, David expected to go there. And then Psalm 89.48, all men will go to Sheol. So here you have examples of both what I would call the sinners and ones, this is Old Testament before Jesus, and, and ones who, who were faithful and found favor in God's eye. Finally, in Psalm 49.15, but God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. So this indicates that the righteous are one day expected to be released from Sheol, which they were, uh, and, and I may be able to touch on that later, depending upon time. So where are the dead now? Well, the Old Testament, the world of the dead, is called Sheol 65 different times. And as I said before, it's translated as grave, hell, or death. Uh, not the pit or the lake of fire. This is where believers and unbelievers go after departing this life. Uh, the New Testament world of the dead is called Hades 42 times. Both of these words refer to the same place, whereas hell is the permanent abode of punishment that lasts uh, forever. So there is a clear distinction. I call this a temporary location, but you see different compartments, Abraham's bosom, the gulf, and the place of torment. I'm going to go on to show you even more compartments. So, Sheol and Hades. I'm going to first read, uh, this is 1 Peter 3, 18 through 20. This is after Jesus died. For indeed, Christ died for sins once for all, the just and the righteous, for the unjust and the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. I say, this is my interpretation here, Jesus' Spirit, this is not the Holy Spirit. In which he also went and preached to the spirits now in prison, who were once were disobedient when the great patience of God was waiting in the days of Noah." So this is the three days, and we'll get into this more as we go along, but after Jesus died and he, was, he descended into the earth for three days uh, and, and had a mission, and I've covered this, and where was Jesus for the three days? Uh, there's, uh, I think, a three-part series that I broke down on this, and Jesus went to numerous locations in those three days, if you're interested, uh, but one of those locations was Sheol and Hades. So let me keep going. Uh, Matthew 23, 14, and Psalms 86, 13. Again, centering on the levels of hell. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. So, in other words, there's different levels, there's different punishments. You'll receive a greater punishment. Uh, then uh, Psalm 86, for great is thy mercy toward me. Thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. Again, pointing to the fact that there's there's levels uh, of hell as well as compartments. I want to talk a little bit about Judas Iscariot because I think some people might be surprised with this. I'm going to refer to three scriptures, actually four, uh, but the first three will be Acts 125, John 17, 12, and Revelation 17.8. Again, if you're following me on video, uh, th this is all here. That he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. So there's a specific place that has been designated for Judas Iscariot. He has a place 
a compartment that was set up for him. Now, let me go on to John. Uh, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in, this is Jesus speaking, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be filled. So what's interesting here is he is referring to Judas Iscariot as the son of perdition. Most people would know that we, we hear this throughout scripture. It's also another name for Satan. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. Again, that's Revelation 17, 8. Second uh, Thessalonians two three. Let no one let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So there you have it. So he's calling Judas Iscariot uh, at one point the the son of perdition, but you're also referring to Satan as the son of perdition or the man of sin. The word perdition means eternal damnation or utter destruction. It can be used as a synonym for hell. Uh, unfortunately, I've, I've, I've seen this or, you know, watch this, whether it's on TV or whatnot. You know, people will call him the son of perdition. It is a connotation that a person is unredeemable state, one who is already damned while he is still alive. And you don't ever want to say that to somebody because nobody is unredeemable. Uh, all things are possible. Um, Revelation 21 through 3 refers to the bottomless pit. Um, let me read you Numbers 16, 30 through 33. Uh, if you follow me with the green highlight. Now it came to pass as he speak, finished speaking these words that the ground split apart under them and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah, with all their goods, so that they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth earth closed them over. So again, it's in the earth. It's down below. It's beneath us. There are different compartments, different locations. We heard, uh, I gave you examples of all the different names that Jesus referred to it and, and others. Second Peter 2, I'm going to give you another level where it's referred to as Tartarus. Uh, For if God did not spare the angels who sin, but cast them down to hell, other translation is Tartarus, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. So there's a chains of darkness, a level of, uh, of this Sheol Hades that has been reserved for the fallen angels. So you see there's these different compartments. It's very, very clear throughout Scripture. Uh, and, and I just want to just mention real briefly, a lot of, you have to watch some of the translations and, and because more often than not, all of these words that I'm referring to, um, you know, whether it's Sheol or Hades or Tartarus, uh, you know, uh, Gehenna, um, it's always, and I think this is true in the King James, I, I, I can't, I'm, I'm pretty sure, it's always referred to as hell and that's not really a proper translation because of all these different uh, names and meanings and, and compartments. All of this is is eternal damnation. All of this is absolutely horrendous. But just to uh, clarify that you, you have these different uh, sections, Sheol, Hades, 
as well as Gehenna or the Lake of Fire, which is the eventually eternal destination uh, for all who have sinned and as well as the fallen angels. So I want to switch gears for a second, and we're going to start to get a little bit closer to the location of hell. Uh, I want to refer to the story of Jonah and the whale or the fish. It's never actually called a whale. It's called a fish. And unfortunately, I think some of this is, has been kind of um, poo-pooed a little bit because, you know, who's going to live in a fish for three days? And I certainly understand that. But, you know, and, and, and as I once thought that, you know, it's certainly possible. If God says it, God says it. But I think that there's more meaning to this, and I, and I want to kind of break this down. So, again, most people are familiar with this. Uh, I, I won't go into all of the details, but Jonah was cast over the boat, and uh, he's swallowed by a fish. Uh, but I want to jump into, if you're following me on the right-hand side, you see the translation. So, you know, then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, and I will look again towards thy holy temple. So he's, he, he, he's, he's in the belly of the fish. He's, he's drowning. Um, but it says, the waters compassed, compassed about me, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. So he's getting to the bottom, but he's also, you know, we're, we're in a spiritual realm now. It's to the soul. It's, it's, it's cro- crossed the, the state of the flesh. And this is where I say that, you know, I understand where people would say, well, you know, you can't live in the belly of a fish for three days, and we can't. Um, but, and that's because I really believe what's happening here, and you'll see this in the next few verses, he's taken down to hell. Uh, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. Now, if you think about it, the bottoms of the mountains in the ocean, that's as deep as you can go. He's at the bottom. He's talking about this. So, you know, we know today, pressure-wise, you can't get to the bottom of the ocean or, or the bottom of the sea. You cannot physically make it like that. And he sees the mountains. If he's in the fish, he can't see the mountains. So it's, it's very clear. The earth with her bars about me forever. And the reason I'm going to say even more so, if, if you look at Matthew 16, 18, Jesus speaking, and I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, or the bars of hell. So you see that he's in the he's in this uh, uh, bottomless, well, I wouldn't say the bottomless pit, but he's in the, the heart of hell. And the reason I would say that too, is if you go to Matthew twelve forty again, Jesus speaking, for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the son of man be three days and three de- nights in the heart of the earth. So this is where Jesus went down. This is what I was talking about, going into Sheol, Hades. This is what Jonah saw. He was at the bottom of the earth. He was at the bottom of the mountains. The lowest part of the earth is in the bottom of the sea. And and this is where I'm saying this is eventually the location of where hell is. And he's encompassed. He's surrounded by gates and bars. So he, the Lord physically bought him or spiritually bought him there. And this is what he's seeing. And we can you know, again, bear this out from what we see in Scripture uh, as really confirmed by, by Jesus. So if you want to know where Jesus was in those three days and three nights, 
part of his mission was to go down there and to, I wouldn't say preach, but minister to uh, the, the fallen ones, the fallen angels for sure, um, as well as, you know, it doesn't show any reference to going to the uh, um, the the fiery pit or the uh, consuming side of Sheol Hades, but nonetheless, at the very least, they could have saw him because they can look across the Gulf when he uh, when he wound up taking those with him in that form of paradise. So again, you know, I'm moving and I'm I'm showing you. Uh, I believe quite clearly that we're going to find hell, the location at the bottom of the sea, and there's more references to this, and I'll begin to show you why I believe this is important. So I'm going to switch gears just for a second back to Genesis in the very, very beginning, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. I covered this recently in two uh, videos titled um, Earth Before Adam and Hell Before Adam, and this may, depending upon your background, may jolt you a little bit. But the first three verses of Genesis are very clear and, and distinct and different. And they identify three different time zones and, and three different things that were happening. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It's created. It's done. It's, it's beautiful. It's God has created it. And he says it's done. It's created, past tense. Uh, and then we go on to see, and I've, I've laid this out in those videos, um, where at that time, the sons of God, the angels of God, they were all part of this creation. This is where Lucifer was. Uh, it was inhabited at this time. i give you an example of Isaiah forty-five eighteen. Then moving to verse 2, Now the earth was unformed and void, and darkness was upon the face of the earth. So here we had, it was created, it was done, now it became unformed. Darkness was upon the face of the earth. Uh, face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. So it's very important here. So there was the Lucifer's judgment, where this was the uh, a universal flood. This is before Noah's flood, and I'll back that up by by uh, stating Second Peter three five through seven. For this they willingly are ignorant, that by the word of God of heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, exactly as what's described here in, in Genesis uh, 1-2, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water and perished. So this is that cataclysmic flood that happened in Genesis 1-2. And, and, you know, Peter's very clear that this was a past tense, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved into fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Those sons of perdition, or son of perdition, I would say. Um, so there you see two distinctions there. He's, he's saying that there was the, 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 uh, the world that was, and now you're dealing with the world that is. And then Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And that began the seven days of creation, as most people would know. So Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is very important. You see the waters is what consume this. The waters consume this universal flood. Now I'm going to really back this up. I'm going to, again, more scriptures, but this is, this is what I have to do. This is what I have to kind of set this stage for. So Genesis 6, 7. The Lord said, I will destroy man whom I created from the face of the earth. This is about Noah's flood. And he goes both, and following me on video, it really helps because I'm highlighting this. 
what did he what he, did he uh, destroy from the face of the earth? Man, beast, creeping thing, and fowls of the air. Uh, for he repented that I made them. Then it goes on to Genesis seven nineteen through twenty three. Uh, and all flesh died and moved upon the earth, both fowl, cattle, beast, every creeping thing, and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life and all that was on dry land. And every living substance was destroyed was upon the face of the ground. Man, cattle, creeping things, Foul of the heavens, and they were destroyed from the earth. So all of this, all of this destruction is very clear what he's calling it, everything that relates to the earth and breathing with nostrils. What am I getting to? Obviously the fish, the, 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 the creatures of the sea, uh, gills that are not dependent upon breathing air. How can I also base this on? 1 Corinthians 15.39 all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh. Men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. So right there, flesh is being described to you, men, beasts, fishes, and birds. But you see there's a clear distinction between the flood, Noah's flood, it destroyed everything but the creatures in the sea, which certainly, you know, you think about it, it's not like Noah would have taken an aquarium, I'm, I'm being facetious, but you know what I mean. So I, I, I need to draw that clear distinction. Um, let me jump down now to, to the right. Uh, Isaiah 27, 1. And he, uh, and in that day, the Lord with a sore, sore and great strong sword shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent. That's, that's the devil. He's uh, very often called Leviathan, the piercing serpent, that crooked serpent. And he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. So right there, he's telling you, the dragon is in the sea, the dirt, the serpent, the Leviathan. Revelation 20, 13 through 14. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. So we're, we're approaching the great white throne judgment where all men will be judged. Uh, this is after the millennium. But where does where do they come from? What is giving it up? The sea. So that that's where it is. It's below in the sea. Amos 9, 1 through 3. I'm just going to jump to the bottom here. Though they dig into hell, then, thence shall mine take them down. Though they climb up to heaven, climb up to heaven, thence I will bring them down. And though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, I will search and take them out. And though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command the serpent, and he shall bite them. Finally, Revelation twenty twelve through fifteen. And I saw the dead, great and small, stand before God. The books were opened, and another book was opened, which is in the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the book according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered the, de the dead which were in them. So just reinforcing what we see in, in, in uh, the, the book of Revelation. And I, I touched upon that earlier when I was talking about 13 and 14. And then what I want to point out here is Revelation 13, 1. The beast out of the sea. Uh, it says, Then I stood on the sand 
of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. We know the beast is the Antichrist, having seven heads and ten horns, and his horns and ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. And and he can't, comes from the sea. And remember, the dragon, which is Satan, is at the edge of the sea watching the beast come out. So again, all of these references, all of these things pointing to the sea, the ocean, the bottoms of the sea, the bottom, the lowest parts of the earth. Now, I just want to talk about what we see in reality here. Everybody knows that when you get to the darkest points of the ocean, it gets darker and darker. What is hell known? Hell, hell is known as. Hell is known as a place of outer darkness. This is a place where it gets so dark you can't see your fingers in front of you. And I just wanted to point out, you know, there. I think the 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 number is ninety percent, or maybe we've discovered ten to twenty percent of the animals or, or species, different types of aquatic species that are in the ocean depths. So the closer we get down, obviously it's that much harder to reach because of the pressure. And I also think that there's this is just my own my opinion type thing. Um, notice that we can't really get down. That's not a natural thing for us to do. We can't breathe in the water without, uh, you know, some type of scuba gear and, and, and additional apparatus that would help us. We cannot travel to the bottoms of the sea without uh, certain, you know, submarines and, and, and instruments that would help us maintain the pressure to get that low. So the lower you go, the more the pressure increases. And I really believe there's a correlation to to sin and death. And and the closer you get to the light, the more you can breathe, and the, you know, the more you can see. So I, you know, I personally believe that there's there's something else to that there. But I wanted to point out. Uh, of, you know, we can recognize beauty. And when we see things, even in the sea, you know, you see the majestic colors and, and, and whatnot that we can see within the first 30, 40, 50, 100 feet. Um, but the lower we go, and I'm pointing out some of the creatures that we we see here, they're hideous. They are absolutely ugly and disgusting. And again, I've shown you this on video. And, and just think about, uh, you know, if you want to do a search on uh, deep, deep ocean species, and I believe that there's something to that. I'm also pointing out that there's a number of UFO sightings, and I, I hope to get into this more you know, down the road, but um, a number of these, and they are captured by, uh, two of these have been captured by um, U.S. Navy and Air Force, and they identified these things. They didn't know what they were, and, but they watched them dive deep into the ocean. And I'm showing you three different images here on video of these UFOs going into the ocean, and then we don't see anything. And again, they're moving at speeds and uh, doing things that our man is not capable of manufacturing today. Uh, so I believe that there is some correlation to darkness and, and the UFOs, and I hope to get into that more soon. But I just find that interesting that they've been captured by military cameras. So this is not, you know, it's not Photoshop, the best I can tell. Um, I just, other things that kind of point out to me, uh, Bermuda Triangle, we don't know why these boats, and I think even some planes, yeah, planes have gone down there. It's also nicknamed the Devil's Triangle. Coincidence? I don't know. Uh, then there's the Dead Sea. That is the lowest elevation on Earth. No 
uh, life can sustain in there. Uh, I, I will tell you, I had the, the privilege of, of floating. I couldn't even say swimming in there because it's so buoyant that you can literally just lay on your back and spread your arms and your legs and you'll float. You don't need anything underneath you. Um, but it is the lowest elevation in the world. It is called the Dead Sea. Interestingly enough, Sodom and Gomorrah was burned with hell's fire. And that location is only 20 miles from the Dead Sea. And if you go there today, you will see that, you know, all of that salt is still there. And I just wanted to touch on one other thing that troubled me for many years. I didn't understand it. And I think now I do. Revelation 21.1, that we will have a new heaven and a new earth. And it says here, and I saw a new, this is after the millennium. All of this is going away. All of what we know um, and I'm going to say we're going to get the best makeover possible. But it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And for so long I was like, oh, what do you mean, God? There's no more sea. I think I get it now. I think this is pointing to sin, pointing to the activities of what this earth will be known for. And this is just you know my opinion, but it, that makes sense to me. I cannot close this out without two slides that I just want to talk to you in case you don't know the Lord, uh, because many people will use the argument that God will let good people into heaven. If God is truly a God of love, he will let the good people into heaven. We've all heard this argument, despite their lifelong rejection of him and Christ's gift of salvation. Consider this. If God allowed sinners who refused to repent of their sins he would deny his own nature, his own self. Uh, admitting unrepentant sinners into heaven transforms paradise into an annex of hell. It's just, it's impossible. If an unrepentant soul were allowed to live, or allowed into heaven, the sinfulness would destroy the holiness of heaven. The cleansing of our souls requires the spiritual application of the blood of Jesus. It cleanses our hearts and it prepares us to be able to live in heaven because it is only by the blood of Jesus that we're allowed to enter. So for all of these people who, you know, and I, and I know a lot of them and they're, they're, they're well-meaning and, you know, some of them different religions, um, but it's just, it's just not the case. Uh, John three eighteen through 21, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. People loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. If you think about it, there are people out today who say, well, I'm going to party with the devil and blah, blah, blah. And, and just, just those words alone, it's just, it's, it's sad. Uh, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works would be exposed. It's almost like a cockroach or a group of cockroaches hiding in the darkness and you flick on the light and they all scatter because they can't stand the light. It exposes them. But that's who we are. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short. But whoever does this, uh, what is true, comes to the light so that he may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And I'm just going to close with this. Uh, Mark 8.37. This is Jesus speaking. For what can a man give in return for his own soul? 
Whosoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. For who is he who overcomes the world? He that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Finally, Mark 8, 38, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed, this is Jesus speaking, whoever will be ashamed of me in my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, here I am in 2021, look around you, you we're in an adulterous and sinful generation. Uh, there are thousands of instances where people call good evil and evil good. I mean, it's just, it's all around us. Of him also shall be the Son of Man ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I'm showing you a picture in the left-hand corner of a gentleman named Arthur Stace. He lived in Australia, and he had a sinful life. He, you know, he, he was in prison a bit and uh, alcoholic, but long story short, he came uh, and to the saving grace of Jesus, and he began to write the words eternity uh, every 600 feet or so throughout Sydney for many, many years. People, you know, walking around Sydney, Australia, seeing the word eternity, and, you know, they didn't know what it meant. And, you know, eventually they got it. I think it was in the early 60s that it, it, it became known. But what was very cool, I don't know if you remember this, uh, I think it was the 2000 Olympics in Sydney, Australia, and they were doing this, uh, you know, fireworks and light show and whatnot. And then and they kind of lit up eternity uh, because that's what he was known for. And that's what Sydney, Australia is known for. It's it's known for where we're going to wind up. And, you know, we're all going to be called there. We're all going to be called to eternity. And it's what you're going to do with it. So, you know, this man had an impact on billions of people. This this small, simple man by simply writing the words eternity for us to think about and contemplate. So if you don't know the Lord, I, I strongly encourage you to do so, to to seek him out, to ask him to make him uh, available to you, to let him show himself real in your heart, and I promise you he will. So again, thank you as always for your time. If you have any questions or comments, email me, russickoutlook at gmail.com. Happy to take prayer requests, uh, any questions, or if you know, you're looking for a church and you're in a certain area, I'll do my best to try to uh, identify ones, but you know, any Bible believing church is, is really where you want to go if you don't know the Lord. Uh, so again, thank you for my, your, my time. Thank you for your time. Uh, this is Mark Russick. You've been listening to the Russick Outlook. As always, just my opinion.